Good morning. We've got some great news to share. We're going to do a special uh, Bible presentation, uh, uh, a little bit different. Uh, Tom Taylor is who we're talking about. Uh, Tom and Pauline Taylor, neighbors of C.T. Johnson and Bob and uh, Kerma Parrott, um, been part of the church for a while now. Uh, Pauline was baptized uh, a while back, and then Tom was baptized, um, I'm not even sure how long it's been, Tom, but, uh, but about that time, he has some significant health challenges and um, was not able to be in worship even. I think he was even in the hospital soon after, and it was very touch and go there for a while, and he's doing some better now and is with us almost every Sunday. And so we asked us that we would love to give you a Bible and pray for you. So Mike, if you'll grab the Bible and microphone, and we're going to go to him. He's seated back here toward the back um, and have a special prayer for him at this time. And Mike, you can share whatever else you would like to. Tom, it's... Uh... A pleasure to give you this Bible, and it's a pleasure to know you and your wife, Pauline. We're so pleased to have you all with us at this congregation. It's been a, a good ride for us and a good ride for you, too, I believe. Uh, they both were baptized a few months ago. Maybe now it's been longer than that, probably over a year uh, for Pauline. And, and they've been an asset to our congregation. Pauline works with the sewing ministry and... Uh, it's always been pleasant to have them in classes and to know them, and we're pleased to have them here, and we'd like to pray with them now, if you'll bow. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all of the blessings that you give us. We're thankful especially for souls that are baptized, uh, the time of uh, giving you their lives. We're thankful for Tom and Pauline. We're thankful for the influence that they have for us. Heavenly Father, we're mindful of the privilege it is for us to be part of your family. We're thankful for this congregation and for the welcoming that they give to new members, and we're thankful that we have the privilege to represent your son in the way we live our lives. We ask you to be with, with us and help us and guide us each day. Be with Tom and Pauline. Give them good health and good years ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. You may have read in the bulletin about uh, another baptism last Sunday um, after worship was over. A lady named Mitzi Mangrum decided she was ready to be baptized. She's a friend of Sue Fox and Nina Hausman. And, um, uh, and I share that because uh, you weren't there. Uh, you didn't see that. Um, you know, we have a tradition that we uh, gladly continue that at the end of our worship time, we offer an invitation song. You know, we've just shared the good news of Jesus, and um, we hope that doesn't get old because we always want to give anyone an opportunity to say yes to the Lord. Um, sometimes, though, in a crowd of hundreds, that can be overwhelming. Uh, and so, again, just a reminder, we've got a little prayer room uh, to your right. Uh, so anytime after our morning worship, you can make your way there. Uh, it may just be a prayer request. It may be you want to study more, uh, whatever your spiritual need is. And there'll be one of our shepherds in there to meet you, talk with you, pray with you, study with you, whatever you need. Uh, and so the invitation is always open, and I, I hope you know that. Um, I appreciate Kent's prayer for the devastation uh, that has happened this past week uh, with the Hurricane Ian. I looked this morning to get the latest on the death toll, and disturbingly, we don't know still. Uh, one said 47, one said, I think, 55, one said 60-something. 
And I think that kind of tells us we are still in the search and rescue uh, phase of that. I talked yesterday with Dale and Margie Huckabee. Some of you know they live with us here. This is their home uh, most of the year, but they also have a home in Fort Myers, and they live there uh, usually in the winter months. And so um, they have dual citizenship, you might say. Uh, But we share them with those folks in in Florida, but their place was spared, thankfully. Uh, Not much damage um, to their property, some, but not much, but some right there in their same little uh, neighborhood were totally devastated. Just, and you've seen, you've seen the reports. Um, uh, here's an odd one. Thursday morning, I was meeting a good friend for coffee early, early, and while I was waiting for my friend to get there, I was just looking at the reports. You know, it just hit the day before, um, and a man walked up to me. He said, I live in Fort Myers. He was a truck driver, uh, and his work had brought him up here, and he said, my wife is still there. I said, how fast can you get back? And he said, I'm doing everything I can to see when my work will let me take a load back. And can you imagine that? I mean, the not being able to be there. Here's some encouraging news. Uh, I got online and looked at the uh, Churches of Christ Disaster Relief to find out about how quickly help could be um, taken there. You know, because part of what, you know, the earlier days of this is that nobody could get in. I mean, even the homeowners could not access their property even to see if it was still there. Um, But Friday morning, two 53-foot truckloads of supplies left Nashville. I didn't get a report that they're there yet. I was looking for that uh, because, you know, some of the interstates are also underwater. So, uh, but I'm hoping that they did get there. The plan was to go to the Gulf Coast Church of Christ in Fort Myers. That's where Dale and uh, Margie worship when they are there. Um, that's one of the um, uh, stations that they're going to use. Another is the Cape Coral Church of Christ, and we're all familiar with those. If you've not been there, you've been watching the news, you see that was just across the harbor there. Uh, so there's some good going there. Um, uh, that being said, uh, here's another one. Tomorrow in Nashville, they are packing boxes to load more. So if you're available and you want to help, see Dale Huckabee. They're getting a crew crew to go in the morning. And then this, you know this already, but we always like to share, especially at a time like this, um, donations um, to the disaster relief is, is so good because your dollar will buy so much more through them because they can buy in bulk and they can organize, they get there, they've got the distribution set up, and it's such a wonderful way to, to help. So, so keep that in mind. Again, I thank Kent for his prayer. I know you're continuing to pray for those people. And of all things, our lesson today is on flood stage moments. What do you make of that? Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew. You can follow along there. And actually, we're going to read the whole chapter here in just a moment. Uh, it's all going to be on the, also going to be on the screen if that will help you. Think about this, though, as you're turning there. Wasn't that long ago, back in the 1800s, when everyone had to be to survive a jack-of-all-trades. Is that fair to say? I mean, you had to be able to hunt and cook your own food, prepare your own food. You had to be able to to can, to sew. You had to be a medic for your family, a makeshift vet for your animals. Your work was physical labor. There's no need for a gym membership, exercise equipment. That was just staying alive. And you went to bed soon after the sun went down, and you slept well. 
because you were tired. You had worked hard. But now, our lives are so advanced, so refined. We have so many appliances that do all the daily tasks. We drive our fine automobiles to buy food that's already harvested, put in packages, refrigerated, that we can take home and just so easily cook in our ovens, our microwaves. Or better, we can ride in those same automobiles to a restaurant where somebody else does the cooking and the cleaning, and they bring the food to your table, and you are fed like you are royalty. You ever thought about that? Yet with all the ease, with all the convenience, with all the the ease that we have, we find that our culture is longing for adventure like never before. You've heard people say, I just got to get outside. You know, I don't like to be strapped to a desk. I just want to go. I want to do something. There are people this week who are getting away. They're at the mountains. They're at the beach. They're at a theme park. And we understand that. Here's the worst part of what we're talking about. People get so bored with their life that they can get lost just looking at a screen for hours. It could be a video game. It could be a social media. It could be binge watching. But we just sit on our backside and just look at a screen. Surely there's more to life than just going to a job and looking at a screen. I get a better option for you. It's simple, but it's not easy. Take God at his word. And you will be in for the adventure of a lifetime. Now, the good news is it's free. The sobering news is it's not cheap. We're walking through the book of Joshua, and what we are learning is a biblical truth that we have to take what God wants to give us. And for us, it's through Jesus Christ. So let's read Joshua chapter 3 and see what was happening then and see what kind of observations and applications we can learn from this amazing story. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to Jordan. He and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, Being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, a little more than half a mile in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the ark of the covenant. And pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel. And they may know that I was, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will drive, he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, 
the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bear in the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, a city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan... And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So the crossing of the Jericho is what we're going to study this morning. And we're going to talk about that more in our small groups tonight. I want to begin by noticing the timing, trying to get the context here. Because here's what we need to know. If they had waited just six to eight more weeks they would not have needed a miracle to cross. Now, this is important. If you studied this before, you know the River Jordan is not that large. It is not that impressive. You ever been driving across a bridge, and it's a really nice bridge? Maybe you've not been that way before, and you're like, man, this is a nice bridge. And you see a sign saying whatever river it is, and you're thinking, man, this must be nice. And you look over to see, and you're expecting this impressive flowing river, and what you see is this little bitty creek. You ever had that happen before? And you wonder, oh, wow. Well, there must be more to it than that. Well, the Jordan River is so small, so shallow, that during the dry season... At some spots, you could walk across, really wade across. One source said most of the year, the river was about 100 feet across and from 3 to 10 feet deep. Again, not that impressive. But a couple of months out of the year, it's at flood stage. Verse 15 says the Jordan, that parenthetical statement, the Jordan overflows its banks. Some translation says is at flood stage. Here's what we need to know. This time of year, the snow is melting off the mountains combined with the rains, the creeks, the rivers would flood. It was a given. Everyone knew it. You could bank on it, kind of like our farmer's almanac. One source said at flood stage, there would be places where the Jordan was as much as a mile across with the current raging at about 15 to 20 miles an hour, debris swirling in it. I've not been to see it myself. Some of you have, I know. But as I researched this, forgive me, but I kept thinking of the Duck River. Does your mind go there? The Duck River, it's not as impressive as the Cumberland, the Tennessee, the Mississippi, you know, but it's our river. And, and we, we claim it. But the truth is, when the Duck River floods and the Riverwalk Park is all underwater, it's, it's an eerie sight, isn't it? You ever driven by and you just see that water just over the banks? You think, that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be. It's just very eerie to see that. 
Here's the point. A mile-wide flood stage for the Duck River would mean we'd be sitting in water right here. Actually, it might even be up to the post office. On this side of the Duck, be another half mile on the other side. I want us to get that visual because to think about a river being a mile wide raging by at flood stage. That's what we're talking about here. And all of God's children, the people of Israel, God had them to camp there for three days at the water's edge. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. It's on the screen. During most of the year, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide. But at the spring flood season, the river overflowed its banks and became a mile wide. As soon as the priests bearing the ark put their feet into the river, the water stopped flowing and stood like a wall about 20 miles away upstream near a city called Adam. It was a miracle of God in response to the faith of the people. So here's the question. Put it on your outline. It's on the screen. Why did God not have Israel wait just a few more weeks until the flooding subsided? Wouldn't that have been more logical? Wouldn't that have made more sense? Wouldn't that have been better planning? See, for 10 months out of the year, there were at least some spots that you could wade across with no problem. But these people had been waiting for 40 years. 40 years. And now he has them camp there for three days. Why not wait just a few more weeks? Just a few more weeks. Why does God bring them to the river at flood stage? And puts them in a position where they have to rely on him. Because let's be honest about this. This is not how we roll. This is not the way we typically respond in a situation. When we are facing an obstacle, when we've got a difficulty, when we've got this problem that is bigger than us, we strategize, we plan, we research as if it's all up to us. Don't we? And then we formulate a plan, then we say, God, help me as I work my plan. And we don't word it that way. But you ever find yourself responding that way? That the way we think, the way we pray, as if it's all up to us and our power, our ability, our resources. Why do we do that? Is that because we're, in, we're, we're smart and we're used to like doing it myself and God you know, blesses those who help themselves? Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? No, it's not. But we think that, don't we? Or is it because we don't want to put ourselves in a situation that if God doesn't come through, we don't know how to deal with that? Where is our faith? How do we respond? We'd rather be content, live in our life, without needing God to intervene. Make my own money, pull my own weight, do it myself. Don't even need family, don't need friends, don't need God. It may be that our way of approaching life is more American than it is biblical, especially faith-filled. Is that you? Notice God brings them to the water's edge for three days. 
camped out here for three days. I want us to camp here, pun intended, for a moment and think about God still uses flood stage moments in our lives. And maybe when you're at a low point in your life, when there seems to be no way, when you cannot do it in your own strength, you're just overwhelmed, that you, just like the Israelites, will get to experience God's awesome power. I want to make three observations. If you're following along on the outline, you can take these notes. The flood stage moments, they provide first the opportunity for God to be your crossing guard. Think about that. Is that not what's happening here? If you drive past the school in the mornings and the afternoons when the school is starting or getting out, you're likely going to see a crossing guard. A man or a woman, they're wearing the uniform or, or maybe a vest. They may have a whistle. Some of them will wear a white gloves. You've seen that. And they're standing in the middle of the road. And they're stopping traffic. They're stopping this lane so that lane can go, stopping all the traffic so the students can pass by safely. And we appreciate that. It just helps things to go well. We need a crossing guard. At those moments, they provide a very important service. And I'm sure these people saw the very need for God for three days, camping out, staring at this mile-wide river rushing by, being told day after day after day, there is no way we can physically cross this flooded river. Can you relate? To that? How are you going to deal with this problem you're facing? That there's no way you can accomplish this in your own strength. I can't help but think that he had them camp there for three days to open their eyes, just to see the reality, to drive home the point of their own inadequacy. The only way to cross, per the instructions, was to follow the ark. The ark becomes the crossing guard. Look again at verses 2 and 3. It's on the screen. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp, commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you you shall set out from your place and follow it. If you look at the chapter there, the word ark is mentioned 16 times in this story, in this whole crossing And again, if you study, if you remember from Exodus chapter 25, the ark itself was not really that spectacular in size, maybe four feet long, about about two by two. It was overlaid with gold inside and out, but the top, the lid, that was called the mercy seat, they had the cherubim that their wings almost touched, that represented the very presence of God, all that top part, solid gold. By God's design, That ark was a visual reminder, a a tangible uh, symbol, physical, of the presence of God. And the people knew it. They were told, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, then you shall follow it. So the ark representing God here was to be the crossing guard. It is the ark, this manifestation of God, that drives up the river upstream. It's only through the power of God they're able to cross over and take the land. So here's the lesson we need to learn. If you're going to be successful in taking this abundant life that Jesus wants us to have and all these blessings that Jesus wants to give, it's not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on on your wonderful knowledge. 
It's based on how much you're following him. It's based on how much faith you have to do what he says and obey. How much are we living in his power? See, sometimes, and you've seen this, maybe you've done this. When difficulties come, it is not uncommon for people to question God. God, where are you? Do you not see this happening? Or God, why are you punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? I crossed all the T's, I dotted the I's, I thought I did everything right, and now this. God, where are you? And they turn on God. But is it still true that God may be working in your lives, bringing you up to that flooded river, that flood stage moment, to help you grow past your pride of self-reliance? Does he want you to see this impossible obstacle as bigger than you so that you'll stop thinking, I can do it myself? And truly take a step of faith. Did God lead you to that flood stage moment not to punish you because you did something wrong, not abandon you because he's forgotten you? Is he testing you? Is it a moment of truth for you to teach you? Because when we face flood stage moments, it's just kind of, again, part of the American way. I've got to do it myself. Do it my own strength. In essence, what we're doing there is we're getting ahead of the ark. Even a church can do this. It could be us individually. A church can do this. Facing a difficult situation, a challenge. Do we have eyes of faith to march on, trusting that God's going to make a way? Or do we set out to accomplish everything that we can afford in our own coffers or our own resources? Remember Paul's prayer is on the screen, Ephesians 3.21 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Isn't that something? What's happening in Joshua chapter 3 is a lesson for all of us still today. Are we spending more time planning, strategizing, trying to do it in our own strength? Or praying in faith to God to show the way, to make a way. Flood stage moments give an opportunity to realize you need God to be your crossing guard. Number two, these flood stage moments give us an opportunity to experience God in living color. Let me explain what I mean by that. Our Bibles are full of good stories, great stories, amazing stories. But these stories are black words on white pages. They're black and white. We read them, but we've yet to experience this God in living color. Joshua describes very vividly how the ark led the way, but still crossing the Jordan, as as wonderful as it is, and as much as it's in our songs, the crossing of the River Jordan seems to almost be a, a second step or a second tier miracle or experience than the crossing of the Red Sea. Is that a fair statement? I mean, the Red Sea, come on, let's talk about that. I mean, that was Moses. I mean, that was deliverance out of slavery. And the crossing of the sea compared to crossing of a river, or there's no comparison there. And the crossing of the Red Sea, we've got movies about that, don't we? Lots of them. 
I mean, the crossing in the Red Sea, that's where you should have been. But here they are crossing the Jordan River. It may be that we look at this as sort of a second-tier kind of miracle. Maybe not quite as, as spectacular or, or memorable as the crossing of the Red Sea. So why does God do this? Why does he have this sort of second verse, but not quite as spectacular as the first verse? Why not just leave it there? Well, here's the thought. Because as spectacular as the Red Sea crossing was, these people now camped by that flooding river weren't there. They didn't experience the Red Sea, or at least they were children. Some of them may be too young to even remember it. It was their parents who experienced it. It didn't really happen to them. Now, they'd heard stories about it. They, they knew about it, of course, but they had not experienced it. That happened decades earlier to their parents. It was the previous generation. But 40 years had passed. To these people, the crossing of the Red Sea, think about it. That happened in another time, in another place, to another people. I wonder if these people who were camped out at that moment thought about the Red Sea crossing like you and I think about so many of the stories in the Bible. Great stories, amazing stories, where God did these wonderful things filled with his power and goodness. And I believe it happened because it's in my Bible. But those happened another time, another place, to another people. It's not real to me. But here at the Jordan, these people get to experience their own miraculous crossing, and it becomes real. The stories they've heard about, now they get to experience in living color. They're walking across the dry land. Like them, we too should come to a point in our relationship with God that you move, think about this, and this is a challenge, that you move from the God you've heard about, that you know these great stories about, to the God you know, the God you have experienced. When there was no way, God made a way. And you're eager to tell your story about that. We could go around this room and there would be men and women, young and old, who could tell story after story after story where God did that for you. And as, as much as we would love that, we love it more because that's now. That's not a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, another land, another people. It's somebody I know. But even better, it's when you can tell your own story. I believe God still uses flood stage moments in our lives. It's where, as the saying goes, the rubber meets the road. The rub of your faith touches and leaves an indelible mark on the road of reality that you don't even see reality the same anymore because of that experience. Flood stage moments give the opportunity for you to experience that as powerful as God was back then, God is just as powerful even today, right now. Flood stage moments allow us to experience God's power personally more than a sermon, more than any Bible teaching, more than any wonderful examples of family that have this amazing faith, more than a worship experience. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't help us to formulate our faith and that good teaching and good examples and reading the Bible 
don't grow our faith. But there is no denying when you've been in that moment of impossibility and God comes through for you and makes a way, it changes you. It grows you. It's when you cry out to him with all that's in you. God, I know what your holy word says. I've read about that for years, maybe all my life. I know what you did for your people then. But I need you now. I need you to come through right now. Being a completely committed follower of Jesus means you don't think like the world anymore. More and more, your thinking is being transformed to think like Jesus. To think like he would think and approach things. So you don't reason any longer with a faithless approach, with logic, that you're just saying, how much strength do I have? How can I make this happen? You know, if I just wait six to eight more weeks, I can wade across the river. Yes, you can. And congratulations for that. But you just missed an opportunity for God to work in you and through you. Gladys Allward. You know her? Ever heard the name? Her picture's on the screen. She was a missionary to China. If you're into old movies, you might remember Ingrid Bergman playing her role. She was in China. A book written about her is called A Small Woman with a Great God. Small because she was four foot ten feet tall. Not even five feet tall. Small woman. She was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yangqing in 1938. But she could not leave the children behind. She had one assistant and a hundred little ones. A hundred little ones. They set out to cross the mountain to a safer part of China that would be free. It was an impossible journey, but they set out anyway. Partway through, she thought she might, she might could make it across, but there's no way these little ones, these little ones could make it across those treacherous mountains. It was for her a flood stage moment. And as much as she wanted to save them, as much as she wanted to do the right thing, she was so overcome with emotion. She just melted. She just broke. And she was crying right there in front of the children. They all just stopped, paralyzed, because she stopped. They didn't know what to do. Thirteen-year-old girl started telling Gladys her favorite Bible story about Moses leading the people of God away from that evil Pharaoh. And Gladys, so overcome with despair through her tears, said, yeah, but I'm not Moses. The little girl said, I know. But Yahweh is still God. That's what we're talking about here. Is what our children learn from their parents about what the Bible teaches, are those just feel-good stories? 
It's what is taught in our preschool Bible classes in Faith Farm. Is that just to keep our children a babysitting service with a take-home that's going to end up in the floor of the SUV before you even get to lunch? Does it really make a difference? Do we really believe what we're talking about here? Are they just stories that happen to another people in another place at another time? Or like Gladys, do you need to be reminded that the Scriptures do not just reveal how powerful God was, but how powerful God is? Look at Romans 15.4. Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Too many people, too many believers spend their whole life on this side of the Jordan, acknowledging how powerful God was, and they live a miserable, faithless life, just hoping to remain in God's care until they die. They're reading about it in black and white, and they never cross that river and experience God in living color. They've read about what the Bible says about these riches in Christ, this abundant life, but they've never tasted the milk and honey. Think about that. What does that say about us? What does that say about us? If that's our approach, why would anybody want to also follow Jesus? Come be miserable with me while we wait. He's promising us an abundant life. Now, not a carefree life, not a troublesome free life. In fact, he talks about there's going to be some stage, some flood stage moments, some difficult moments. Jesus promised that. Look what Warren Wears, but he goes on to say, The crossing of the Jordan River is not a picture of the Christian dying and going to heaven, contrary to what is said in some songs. The crossing of the Red Sea pictures the believer being delivered from the bondage of sin. The crossing of the Jordan River pictures the believer claiming the inheritance in Jesus Christ. These flood stage moments, they're not just about you. And that brings me to the third Flood stage moments give an opportunity to be a testimony of God's power. If we just stopped reading, if we stopped our series here in Joshua chapter 3, like a one and done kind of sermon, we would miss what happens in Joshua chapter 5. Because news got back to the kings that were west of the Jordan. How? We don't know. They had spies, maybe. I don't know. This water just kind of stopped up miles down the, uh, up the river. That's enough to get your attention. What's going on? How do you hide millions of people? You know, they knew what was going on at this time. Look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The battle was over before it started. No wonder when they got to Jericho, this fortified city, the gateway to all of the land of Canaan, they boarded it up. Nobody was coming in and out. They, in essence, gave up. They believed in this powerful God. The Canaanites saw God make a way when there was no way. So why does God allow us to have these flood stage moments in our life? Are they to test you? Maybe. Or is God also wanting to work through you? 
so that others who have not yet come to faith or maybe waver in their faith will see how God can be a God today as well as a God of yesterday. People who've never read the Bible, they're not interested in coming to church with you, but they know you're a person of faith. They know you're a person of conviction. They know what you stand for. They're watching you. And what they really want to know down deep is, does what you believe make a difference in how you live? Do you approach a problem the way everybody else does, complaining about it, strategizing, trying to do everything in your own power to overcome it? They want to know if this God is real or if these just feel or these just feel good stories that happened years ago. Is this God still working? Hasting a pledge stage moment allows you to be a testimony of God's power. Even when others are watching you and you don't even know it. Hank was 42 years old when he received that dreadful diagnosis of cancer. And coupled with that was, we can give you no guarantees as they laid out the treatment plan. You know that story. Some of you have faced that. You've experienced that. Or someone you love has. He was facing a flood stage moment. Hank knew that he wanted God to be his crossing guard. Either help him cross the river into healing or cross the ultimate into eternity with God forever. But he was a firm believer in God working in his people. And that not only affected his faith, it affected the way he, he lived his life and the way he dealt with people, the way he talked. His treatments were very tough, so much so that he only went to the treatments. He couldn't go anywhere, didn't go to church during this time. It was hard, very hard. One Sunday, though, at the church where he was a part of, a lady showed up. Several people introduced themselves to her and said, well, how would you hear about our church? She said, I met this guy where I work as a nurse. His name is Hank. He keeps talking about God and how this church family is sustaining him through this ordeal. And I just came to see what this is all about. Hank had no idea who was watching. Flood stage moments let you choose God to be your crossing guard. Flood stage moments are when you get to experience God in living color if you'll take the step. Flood stage moments allow God to work through you to be a testimony to others. Being a completely committed follower of Jesus is not a boring life. It's the adventure of a lifetime. If you'll take a step. Our song of, invit of invitation is to encourage you to do just that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He's made a way for your sins to be washed away? That he paid the penalty of your sins on the cross. That, that when you're baptized into him, he makes you as white as snow. He gives you his righteousness. And he's in heaven preparing a place for you. If you've not yet been baptized, if you've not yet confessed your faith, this song is to encourage you. Now's the time. Or if we can pray for you in any way, as you may be facing a flood stage moment, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?